before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discuss during the end game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. What you're about to hear is a Markets in Turmoil edition of The Endgame. The uncovering of the Greensill fraud and the Archegos liquidation have rocked markets in recent weeks. But as always, the narrative around both of these events is woefully misguided. Joining Fleck and me to help make sense of them are Mark Cahodes and Dr. Ben Hunt. We discuss the importance of each event to the broader markets, how they came to be possible, what the real story behind the carefully constructed narrative appears to be, as well as the likely ramifications. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the Silver Tier get both the podcast and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Well, welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Endgame. This is a very special Markets in Turmoil edition that Bill and I have decided really needs to do because obviously markets are in turmoil and there's chaos everywhere and what better way to drag in a massive audience than to create hyperbolic headlines. Joining me as always for this, my partner in crime, the great Bill Fleckerstein. How are you today, mate? Mate, I'm good. How's how's the turmoil treating you? For for once, the turmoil mostly missed me, Uh, (laughs) with the exception of the fact that they destroyed gold for a while. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that, that tends Um, to happen. But uh, what is going to be interesting is what we might be able to piece together that is not generally well known about what's going on behind the scenes and the prime brokers and these uh, leveraged crazies like Mr. Uh, Bill Wang and uh, what the ramifications might be. Are there going to be any? Have we seen it? That, I think it'd be useful to be able to get out in front of the pack on this topic. Yeah, and, and out in front of the pack is a perfect segue into our guest, um, the leader of the Epsilon Theory Pack, Dr. Ben Hunt, is going to be joining us, and our mutual friend, Mark Ahodes, who himself has found himself in uh, a similar position to Bill Huang, though without the leverage of being screwed over by his prime broker. Well, and yeah, where maybe the prime broker was uh, not doing what it's supposed to do to begin with, it was slightly different in that... The total return swaps, they probably executed them in too big a right. size. Yeah. Where in Mark's case, they they didn't really have the borrow they were supposed to have and decided to make him pay for it. So yeah, exactly. Slightly right. different issue. <laughs> Either way, these uh, <laughs> these two gentlemen joining us shortly have great insight into this. And so Bill and I thought we could just kick this around and, and try and, as you said at the beginning there, Bill, get a handle on what's really going on. Because you know this is one of those things that, that just the, the sheer size of the Archigos thing and the number of prime brokers it's dragged into it tells me that this isn't a two-day and done thing. This is going to change things material, I would imagine. Well, I would think for sure we're going to get new legislation, which we, we probably ought to have. It's, it's so funny. It's like a roach motel with these prime brokers and uh, investment banks in that 
not to say everyone who works there's not a good you know is a problem but as entities yeah every time they pass regulations to stop them from doing some things and then the regulators go overboard they find some new nook, nook and cranny to get into and cause you know incredible amounts of problems and i guess one thing that would be really interesting uh, which we I, I don't think we'll find out without a subpoena is what sort of uh Groups of guys are ganging up on markets or securities. You know, how much collusion and things like that are there. I used to kind of poo-poo that idea because I know how difficult it is to really actually manipulate something. But it, it would seem that some of these guys were doing just that. And if is are these the only people doing that? And <laughs> who else might be doing it? When you layer that on, you know, on the passive investing and the structured products, I mean, is it any wonder the tape is so squirrely all the time? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think the one thing we know is the answer to the question: Are they the only ones doing it? I think we can answer that pretty categorically without any fear of being wrong. In that, there's absolutely no chance in hell that they're the only people doing it. They're the only people who so far have been carried out on a stretcher. But who knows where that leads? Yeah, it really is a shame that the SEC has abdicated its responsibility over the last twenty years. I mean, uh, I mean the, the way that Elon Musk made fun of them so so obviously yeah. on it several occasions and the, the fact that they don't, you know, they, 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 they did nothing about the people that, you know, were signing fraudulent financial statements in the 08 crisis, et cetera, et cetera. So on, on top of every other monetary and uh, sin and crazy things we have going on, we have an SEC that seems uninterested in doing its job. Yeah. Well, Ben has written some fantastic notes recently about this. Uh, he'll be joining us shortly. And Mark, obviously, is no stranger to listeners to this podcast. So why don't we uh, bring the gents in? What do you reckon? Well, Dr. Ben Hunt, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you back here again. <laughs> great to be here. And uh, great to be here uh, with, uh, with with all of your guests here. Yeah. And joining us also, the wonderful Mark Cahodes from the mountains of Montana. How's it going, fellas? This is, uh, I was looking forward to doing this one day and these greedy rat bastards have opened a window for us to jump through. So, <laughs> haven't they so, just? <laughs> haven't they just? just well, there, you know, there's there's so much to talk about, and and there's just so many big stories that all seem to be coming together. And um, if you don't mind, Ben, what I'd love to do is use your writing as a kind of framework for this conversation because you've written three pieces that frame this so beautifully. The three aspects of it: the first one being Hunger Games, which you and I have spoken about before then how to rob a bank, or the best way to rob a bank, I think it was. And most recently, Tigers Can't Change Their Stripes. And, and I think those three pieces, A, everybody, and I mean everybody should read them. But B, I think they do such a great job of giving us almost three chapters for this conversation. So I think if we do them in chronological order and go back to the Hunger Games, that, you know, there's been developments in that. But perhaps if you can flesh out just the broad narrative of that piece, and then you know, I know, I know Mark's had some thoughts on it, Bill and me as well. Sure. Well, you know, what's interesting, I think, about these three notes that I wrote is that they were all very separate in my mind when I wrote them, right? So the, the, the Hunger Games piece was really sparked by the GameStop, Reddit, Robin Hood, Melvin Capital, all of that. That was really what, 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 what sparked that note. And it was in reaction to the, I'll call it narrative, you know, that's, that's what I like to focus on. This narrative that what is happening with GameStop? Well, it's it's a it's the way we democratize Wall Street. Right? <laughs> that this was the victory 
for the little guy to, 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 to stick it to the suits, you know, to stick it to that battle short seller of Gabe Plotkin. And what struck me so strongly in all this was, God, that's just such a lie. You know, it's such a knowing lie that it's put forward as all of these knowing lies are placed forward as, as a way to keep the game going. And what game is that? It's the Hunger Games, right? It's um, that dystopian vision where the, you know, the entertainment value of what is being provided, these horrible you know, competitions, yeah, that, that, that's what was happening with us as well. And, and so I think the, the, the main thrust of that piece was to try to describe how this narrative, this story, was just this pleasant veneer over a, a, a reality, a sinew and bone of market makers like Citadel Securities, of hedge fund against hedge fund, and then the way that they create these stories, whether it's around a GameStop or the like. None of this was meant as a, an attempt to defend Gabe Plotkin, for God's sake. I, I, I mean, I think the short position that, that he had on GameStop was uh, unconscionable, frankly. It was lazy. It's, a, it's a, a, an artifact of, I think, the big stack poker that you can play now because of the enormous leverage that's available to, to, to private pools of capital. But, you know, that wasn't the point of the piece. The point of the piece was to try to look at, well, what is the, the reality of market structures and market players? And how is that the same as it ever was on Wall Street? The Greensill piece, the, uh, the, the note, you know, the best way to rob a bank, which, of course, is a take on the, you know, the old line. Well, what is the best way to rob a bank? You own a bank. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way to rob a bank. And, and of course, that's what Lex Greensill and Greensill Capital did. They, they owned a bank and were able to use that for something that is you know, more and more we're saying was just outright fraud, just outright fraud. And I think there's an element to the Greensill story that I think is different from the GameStop uh, and Melvin Capital story on the one hand and the, the, the last chapter in this trifecta or the uh, Archegos story. I mean, Greensill to me was just a classic fraud, you know, a classic old school fraud. That's not to say that there aren't strong fraudulent elements in, in these other episodes we're talking about, but Greensill was just that, 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 that classic kind of uh, fraudulent attack. And then finally, the third piece was on what happened recently about, about Archegos. And, and what really struck me, and I, and I got to say, I, I owe a lot to Mark. Uh, because we've, we've been talking about all three of these events. And it kind of clicked for me recently about what do these guys, what do these three events have in common? Why are, why are we seeing these three events now with markets at highs? What's going on here? And I think it does come back to what we were all talking about around Robinhood and GameStop and Melvin and Citadel and the like. It all comes back to the massive amount of leverage that is injected into the system, this, this both pulled in by, I like to call them raccoons, you know, like a Gabe Plotkin or a Bill Huang or someone like that, but it's also pushed into the system by all of the banks who are trying to, to, to make a buck and have access to, 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 to unlimited capital with no, um, I'll say, penalty for getting it wrong. 
So I, I, that's kind of what ties these three together to me. It all comes back, as you were saying, Grant, that first note about the hunger games we, we are engaged in today, where we have a, a market reality of unbelievable leverage that is available for private gain and put forward by entities where their losses are socialized. So um, that's the the big framework for me, at least. Yeah. So, Mark, you know, as you as you've watched this play out, obviously the most recent episode, the the Archegos debacle, it's a horse of a different color, but that must have pinged a lot of bells in your memory. But but let, let's go back to the first one, the the GameStop, the Plotkin, Melvin Capital stuff. What were your thoughts on that as you saw that begin to play out? Well. You know, this is an evolving story. The one thing that's fascinating or sad is how wrong the mainstream media has gotten all of this, how badly they've missed it, how the coverage is horrible and how the coverage is sold to the masses, almost like Russian propaganda. I have respect for the individual investor, and I actually really like Portnoy a lot. I think his movement makes sense because Joe Sixpack should have a shot against the Stevie Cones and some of these other clowns who use crazy leverage to manipulate stocks. Joe Sixpack deserves a shot and a seat at the table. However, there was not a chance in hell that this Reddit movement was behind the GameStop because the money involved was so significant. So I chatted up with Ben and we go back and forth and and the media completely missed it. And I did podcasts and there's going to be some stuff coming out that I'm involved in where I get into. There had to have been big money behind this. And whether it was a soft bank, I don't pronounce the guy's name right. I call him Crouching Tiger, Bill Wong or whatever he is. This clown is a criminal. He's been a criminal. He should be behind bars. And everyone should be rolled over. So I think he was responsible, it will come out, for the GameStop and some of this antics. I don't feel bad for Plotkin. He deserves all of the heat and the financial loss he gets. But he was the patsy at the poker table. He was short an irresponsible amount of GameStop. He was short Viacom. He was short Discovery. He was short GSX. He was short all of these names that Crouching Tiger went up against. And Crouching, with the aiding and abetting of these primes with this excessive leverage to create these Ponzi corners, have, have basically, although people don't think this, they've destroyed the markets. The markets are beyond broken. And we are in a path that no one has ever seen before because you have basically wiped out the short community. The short community is wiped out. People may take trades here and there, but you can't leverage properly. You can't hedge properly. You can't balance your books. You can't do options to keep yourself afloat. And there's not a person alive who can manage a GSX position from 30 to 140, 40 to 150, to 36 in the span of nine months. there's There's no person alive or has ever been alive 
who can, who can manage that kind of volatility, risk, et cetera. So I don't want to hear any smoke from anyone on this because I'm not a racist, but the U.S. markets and this volatility is starting to trade very Asian-like, where you have these Chinese stocks that used to go up 80, 90, 500%, they get halted and it's revealed to be a complete fraud or Ponzi scheme and it goes away. No one could be short these things because you'd get destroyed. And when they blow up, everyone loses massive amounts of money. And the SEC doesn't work. The government doesn't work. The Fed has flooded the system. And the brokers, right, which used to be brokers, but now they're banks, the most profitable lending in society is to these greedy hedge funds. And as Bill so aptly says, if you can borrow $100 billion at three and 30 and go for broke, you can make billions and billions for yourself. And if you lose, so what? It's on the bank's books and you just made a mistake. So the risk reward, the reward for taking undue risk and excessive leverage to blow up the system is skewed 100% wrong, 100% in the favor of these greedy criminal practitioners. And the mainstream media, which used to lean up against it, now chomps at the bit to make Stevie Cohn look great, Citadel look great, brokers look great. Everyone, everyone, you know, you, you make this Hello Kitty or whatever his name is, pet my pussy, roaring tiger, whoever is, you, you, you glorify a guy who allegedly, because who knows what the truth is anymore, turns 50,000 into 50 million. So everyone reads and hears this and says, if this guy can do it, I can do it too. So this excessive leverage, which I've whined on, I've written Elizabeth Warren on, every senator on, I keep going on it. It will destroy what used to be a wonderful business. We are watching in slow motion and quick motion the destruction of the free markets. We're just we're just watching the destruction of it. So that's why I rail against it. That's why I can't stand it. That's you know I'm not a macro guy, but I think I see the ball so clearly. I think Ben Ben is so on top of this and is so on top of the game and is so right. You know, people need to really take this in. And, you know, back back when I was an impressionable young guy, I used to be a counselor at a boys camp, and the camp director was a, was a great, great fellow. And he always said something, and it's been pounded in my head. When things get crazy, he used to say, he said, Mark, don't just do something, stand there. Because if you do something and you see crazy, he says it's always the wrong decision. And, and these times and what's going on is crazy. So people don't really need to act. What they need to do is look at this thing, think it through, read Ben's stuff, and there's some other great stuff out there. Read it through and think. And then after you've thought it through, if you want to act, go act. But just don't act because you think this is crazy or how long can this last or we know how it can end. No one knows how this ends. No one knows how this ends. No one knows what level it ends from or the timing thereof. 
So that's that's just my that's my opening salvo in this in this uh, demolition derby. So, Fleck, this is something you and I haven't really talked about. This I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure of your views on this particular part of the story. This first part, the Reddit revolution, if you want to call it that. What were your thoughts on that? And and given what Mark said, how do you do you see it similarly, or are there any wrinkles to it from your perspective? No, I, I mean I think I think uh, Ben's vantage point, you know, and Mark's is exactly correct. I mean. It was a kind of a fun story in a COVID period where people were looking for something to do that they had the tip of the iceberg on. And and, uh, these Reddit guys were winning for a while and then the blow up happened. And there are a host of contributing factors. But as I listen to this and I layer it on top of what I already know, it seems like the elephant in the room, and Mark already touched on it, and maybe Ben did as well, is that the fact of the matter is, is the SEC has refused to do its job. It won't look into anything. And whether we want to talk about insider trading, fraudulent financial statements, you know, the, the systemic risk posed by the massive concentration in the passive investing that Mike Green's talked about. There's a whole group of things that are going on in others, you know, like these total return swaps that this guy used. There's all sorts of, there's tons of abuses and the SEC does nothing. So if the regulators don't care, and then we've got this crazy backdrop that's been created by the stimulus and all that sort of thing, is it any wonder that people go crazy and do, you know, as crazy stuff as we know about and we don't know what we don't know yet. So I think it's important to try to figure out how bad this is now and where it's likely to lead. But unless the markets break it up, we're not going to see any relief until somehow there's enough pressure created for the SEC to actually do its job. And I'm not holding my breath on that score. Well, what's interesting, Ben, coming back to you, just how kind of soon after this, because I think everybody looked at this as a self-contained little story, right? The Reddit stuff, the GameStop, it was self-contained and we had winners, we had losers. It was all kind of wrapped up in a neat little bow and everyone then forgot about it. And if you look at the Google trend searches for Robinhood, they've fallen through the floor and it it kind of came and went and that was it. But did, did you think it was coincidental how quickly Greensill then came to light in the wake of that was that pure coincidence or is that do you think symptomatic that there is a bigger tidal change in play here so not not coincidental at all and, and that's why i think that there are more of these blow-ups to to, to, to come and, and and the reason i think that is that the way you make money right by levering up is you're you're basically look at i use this ten dollar phrase right cross asset correlations right you're looking at pairs basically because you're going to you're going you're going to lever up and you're going to have some positions long you're going to have some positions short and you're saying okay this relationship holds pretty steady across time uh you know that, that's how you develop your var model to say oh it's go ahead you know mr mr pb i i just need 8x leverage on 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 the, the strategy that i've got here and as an aside i i still remember you know this back in 05 when it, it suddenly clicked for me was, you know, how does Stevie Cohen make 40% a year? Well, it's because he's levered eight times. He's, he's making 5%, right? And we, we know how Stevie Cohen made his 5%, right? But then he levers it up eight times, so there's 40%. But you're, you're basically looking at, at, at a very core fundamental level. You lever up because you think I've got 
pairs that I could put on, on, on two sides of this thing. And those correlations are breaking down. They just are. Why? Because these enormous barges, I like to call them, and there should be a Suez Canal you know, reference here somewhere, right? Barges that have been sailing in a, in a direction for like 40 years, whether it's in terms of interest rates, right? Whether it's in terms of you know, deflationary versus inflationary expectations, whether it's in terms of globalization, right? Which has been this phenomenal force for deflation for the last 30 years. Those enormous barges, I think, have slowed down and now are steaming up the river in the other direction. So that all of these correlations and um, pairs that we would base a strategy of taking on significant leverage, those correlations are breaking down. And that's not going to stop because once these barges start moving in a new direction, they don't stop. They keep going. And so I, I, I do think there's more to come. And I don't know what stops the supply of leverage here. And what I mean by that is, all right, you know, you know, Credit Suisse is going to take another loss, right? Credit Suisse, a bank, you know, a criminal enterprise, basically, that's paid $9 billion in fines over the last, you know, decade for, for what they've been caught at, right? right? Yeah, they're going to take, you know, a couple of billion losses on, 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 on Archegos. They've got $10 billion in funds with Greensill that once the insurance wrapper was taken off by Tokyo Marine, they had to, you know, put the gates up on that fund. It's just another just, you know, criminal enterprise, right? But it doesn't matter. Credit Suisse can't go out of business. They can't. It cannot happen in this world. And so long as you've got suppliers of capital, and so long as you've got the capital that's available to them at bupkis cost, the flood of leverage to all of these guys, they're always guys, I guess, um, it's, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. So what you've got is a continuing flood of leverage available at the same time that our world, I really believe, has had an inflection points on a couple of crucial dimensions where the, you know, it's kind of the, the, um, the Seinfeld theory, right? Right. You know, what George would say, you know, I, I should, whatever I think is wrong, <laughs> right? it's all of these correlations are going to shift now. And, and so that's why I think you can see these, again, highly levered plays blowing up like clockwork, right? a decade, 13 years after the last crisis like this. I, and, and I think there's a lot more to come. But, I mean, the one, the one seeming certainty to me is that there will have to be a reduction in the leverage offered by the banks now. I mean, surely, Mark, you think they could, I mean, they will have to, the Credit Suisses, the Namuras of the world, they will have to reduce the leverage. They will have to look at the leverage they've got out there. They will have to start pulling that back and trying to, do it as quietly as they can, but it seems unconscionable. Even though I totally agree with you, Ben, this this is not going to stop. But surely it doesn't have to stop to change everything. It has to be just lowered because in the unwind alone, you've got chaos. Let's put a spin on this. The short answer, I think, is yes. But the one thing I think I want to hit Ben on, you two fellas, is this guy who blew up, crouching. He was levered. 
and who knows what to believe anymore, let's just say eight to one, all long at a market at all-time highs. And if you pencil out his positions, whether it's Viacom or Discovery or GSX, whatever he was in, I have him up this year before the margin call, maybe between 100 and 300%. He was up, leveraged. I mean, Viacom was up 100%. Discovery was up 100%. GSX is up 50%. I mean, this guy was way, way the fuck up in terms of his position. And as we know, if you're leveraged and you're up, you have even more access. So I think part of it is with this deleveraging question you asked, Grant, I'm curious what Ben thinks. There was some form of criminality that must have been discovered either through the SEC or the DOJ in letters or subpoenas to these primes to get everyone off their ass. Because there's not a chance in hell this guy got a margin call being up 300%. No fucking way. And I think the problem here and what really needs to be unwrapped is what led the banks to the so-called meeting. Because if I had an account with Goldman, I sure wouldn't throw that Goldman goes behind my back and has meetings with my other prime brokers that they didn't even, that they shouldn't even know about. I mean, how, how were these positions even accumulated and put together and, and wrapped and levered and derivative the way they were to create this massive collusion type of squeeze? So the short answer to your question is yes. Yes, they do need to delever to some degree, but the criminal aspect of how this was all put together through the use of leverage to manipulate these stocks is, I think, the big story, and the big story is yet to come. I mean, I can jump in on, on, on that. So, so, so Mark and I had a, a call, I guess it was about a week ago, and, and, and for me, this idea that General Counsel, the GC at Goldman and Morgan Stanley, they they got a letter from, I think Mark, sorry, probably right, it's probably the DOJ rather than the SEC, but I, I, I that that really rang true to me. It really rang true to me because, look, I, you know, Mark, I, I don't know that he was up that much in his capital account. I, I mean, from from what I think, the guy's, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll use this term affectionately, a degenerate trader, right? And, and, and you know how these traders are, right? So you're, you, you, you take a little hit in Viacom, and, and so you're, you're going to double and you're going to triple down on that, right? So I don't know that he was up, you know, like say, you know, 100% on his, on his capital position. But Mark, I think you're exactly right. He wasn't, he wasn't down big, right? I, I mean, this, this was a portfolio that needed its sales trimmed, right? It wasn't, it, wasn't a sa- it wasn't a portfolio that needed to get blown up. <laughs> that, that's just not... That makes no sense in any world that I'm aware of, where the last thing that a Goldman or Morgan Stanley wants to do is to, 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 to kill what is a pretty golden goose for them, right? So I, I'm with you on this, on this Mark, that there, that there had to be a, you know, it's called necessary and sufficient conditions, right? So, uh, you know, the, 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 the trigger or the match to me, I think, had to be something that's been outside of discussion today, to, to, to date. And I really do believe 
It is the fact that, look, we know the SEC and the DOJs have their, has had their eyes on Wong for, from before the, the, the 2012 conviction, right? So I, I think you're right, Mark. I, I think there was a letter that prompted the come to Jesus moment where all the, the GCs get on a call together and have that, wait, you have how much exposure to Bill moment? I, 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 I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that, that very much. And so to get back to your original question, Grant, I think that that element will actually, I don't see leverage coming down, man. Or, or the, I, I, I mean, how, how can you do that? I, I, I mean, I, I really think it's it, it almost... Everything that I'm describing or that we're describing about a change in the environment and you know what I think it makes it more likely. I think the moral hazard is greater for if 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 I'm running a hedge fund today, man, you lever up and you put it all on red. And it, that's that's absolutely what you do. I mean, I mean, I think back to the fund I used to run, and I just I think to myself, God, how could I have been so stupid? Right. That that I didn't take one of the there are two ways to own a sports franchise in the United States today. Right. One way is to accumulate a lot of, of money and then just, you know, hug, hug an equity index and, and, and charge charge a performance fee on, on, on your beta. Right. And, and we all know guys who do that. That's a that's a great hedge fund model. The other hedge fund model is lever up, put it on red. Because of the, you'll always get a second act if it goes wrong, if it gets right. Congratulations, you're like, you know, Gabe and you own a piece of the, the, the Charlotte Hornets or, you know, whatever team he bought. So you want to own a sports team? Those are the two ways to do it. And I don't see what stops either of those patterns. I, I don't think that leverage comes out of the system very much. Well, it seems to me, though, that if this was precipitated by some irregularity that the uh, DOJ or shockingly, the SEC caught, and that precipitated the meeting and the language that allowed, you know, Goldman and the others to start liquidating. It strikes me as extremely unlikely that leverage won't be, won't come down because if I'm a prime broker, I mean, if you're one of these banks, uh, now all of a sudden, you know that, oh my God, we didn't really know this. And they start scouring the, the their books for other ones. I mean, I think over the you know, over the next short while, they're going to like be watching extra carefully and 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 making guys do stuff because because they there's a blind spot they weren't aware of. You know, it's so sort of like when they all got caught with the CDSs and the mortgage paper. So I'd be shocked if if the leverage doesn't come down in the short run for guys that are being you know extra excessive. Um, you know, I could be wrong about that, but the, the, it seems to me that that's one ramification of this. And I would think that the, the Congress is going to do something about it because, A, it's headline grabbing and B, there's the, 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 sort of like the makeup there now is a group that would would want to get involved. So well, what, are, what are they going to do, Bill? Right. Are they, they're, I mean, talking about Congress, right. They're going to say, oh, let's put on a transaction tax or something. I, I mean, I don't I don't know what they're going to do to get at the root of this, which is money's way too cheap and the banks are too big to fail, right? And unless you're willing to address any of those things, which clearly no one in any government in the world is willing to address either of those two things. In the absence of that, what really changes here, right? Because if I'm, if I'm an MD at 
whatever at Morgan Stanley. Yeah, I, I get something from my compliance guy in the GC's office says, you know, let's look into those perfected security interests now before you write the next note, you, you know, with, 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 with your counterparty or there. Let's, let's make sure we got that in line. And, and I'll, you know, I'll dance to that tune for a month or two. But then I think, man, I ain't going to get my bonus that way. And so I, I don't know what really changes unless you address either the price of money or the too big to fail aspects. And, and, and I don't see anything happening there in our lifetimes. Let's talk a little bit about prime brokers then, because as you've alluded to there, Ben, there's a huge incentive mismatch here, right? It, at, at the individual level working in a prime brokerage department at a major bank. You know, these guys are incentivized to go out and gather clients and lend money and gather assets. And it, on a personal basis, I honestly, in my experience of, of being inside those banks, I don't know how much these guys really knew what was going on. It was a case of like everything is these days, right? It's an asset gathering exercise. And if you bring in big hedge funds that want to lever up and want to borrow money and the bank can lend and, and earn their margin, then you will get paid a big bonus. And that incentive structure is what we are seeing the downside of right now and, and with, with, the, with the Archegos thing, you know? So I, I've got a direct answer for this, Grant. So the, the, the remedy for this is Bear Stearns. Right. The remedy is Bear Stearns, right? And Bear Stearns ain't ever happening ever again. What? So, and, and we saw that with Robin Hood. We saw that with Robin Hood, right? If Bear Stearns had, had not had enough capital, right, had been undercapitalized, are you kidding? I, I, I mean, look, the, the, the Fed would have been in there that night. They would have been, okay, <laughs> you're basically shut down from operations. Everybody, and look, I, I did this with my, you know, Bear was a prime broker of mine. I got my money out, you know, back in January, right? I, I kind of lucky enough to kind of see it coming. And you get a run on the bank and the bank fails. That's what happens, right? When you make mistakes like this, if your cowboy traders get blow up the firm, they blow up the freaking firm. And, it, it, and that is what cannot happen today, what will not happen today. So that's why I don't think the leverage comes out because there's no penalty. There's no penalty. There's none. Like I said, there's no penalty at Credit Suisse. No, look, you're absolutely right. Go ahead, Bill. I mean, I, you're right about that. There's no penalty from a regulatory standpoint. But I, unless this was completely one off, and if it was, then I don't know what there really is to talk about if we think there's not going to be any legislation to change it. But if it wasn't one off, I cannot believe from a self-preservation standpoint that some of these firms aren't going to look at it and make sure that there isn't another one of these items lurking. Now, that may only last for six or eight, nine months, but I, I don't think that they're going to be able to laugh it off like right away unless there aren't any more of them after they scrub their books. Just from a self-preservation standpoint, I would think they would have to. Certainly, the firms really got tagged hard are going to be looking at whether or not the, um, they have well, any more exposure. To this. Well, Bill, let me ask you, what, what if you do this sort of analysis? You're, I don't know, you're going to UBS, right? And you say, woof, dodge that bullet. Let's look at our books here. And let's say, you know, you make some calls with your, you know, buddies and you know, you know, other, other banks and, and you kind of piece it and say, well, ah, you know what? There is one player out there that seemed to have a heck of a lot of exposure to, and it's, uh, it's SoftBank. What do, you, what do you do with that? You're going to say, no, 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 sorry. Sorry, Masayoshi, you, we need to, you need to, 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 to cool your jets, man. We're not going to do business with you. What, what, what do you do? What do you do, Bill? Because if it's SoftBank, 
you say, oh, sorry, they're, they're not going to. Anyway, you see where I'm going with that, right? Yeah, but I do, but I, again, again, it dep- I think it depends. Look, self-preservation is a pretty potent motivator. And what I'm su- suggesting is if, if these various different derivative bet books are littered with this sort of activity and these guys that run these firms start to get a sense of that, I think they are incentivized to try to cut it back. I, I, I know the point you're making and I understand it. And I can see them. If, look, if nothing else bad happens in the next, pick a number, two weeks or a month, if nothing pops up, then nothing will change. I agree with you. But I think in the moment, I'm sure people are scrambling at these firms to try to figure out what exposure they may have. And it's too soon to think we can laugh it off. Because they have to be a little I bit scared. I ain't laughing, Bill. I promise you. But I, but no, I, I hear no, what you're saying. I think you're right about that. So, so I think, again, that's why I asked the question. If there's a lot of this out there, it'll start to be discovered. And I think in the moment, they'll force it to be taken down. If there isn't much else, you're right. It'll be a speed bump. And the next time, it'll be worse. I, I think, unfortunately, it's too painful to take it down, right? It's, 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 the, it's the same situation as saying, you know, why wouldn't the Fed kind of, you know, start getting off ZERP? Right, wouldn't really, and and then you say, well, you know, what happened to Q four of eighteen? Right, there you go. They can't. Yeah, but that's different. You know, the Fed can't well, leave ZERP. If I'm running a firm, let's let's pick Goldman. Let's say that they just got they, they had a near miss on this, and then they start looking around. They find other guys. They're going to go first and liquidate them, or they're going to do no. stuff to take it down. No, no, no. Right, and well, we'll and, and, and see their and see their earnings get 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 crushed. Is when, better when, than when get, well, else let me ask it? you this. Would you rather have your earnings get crushed or get a smoking hole of a couple billion dollars blown in your balance sheet like what just happened? So I just think it's too near the accident for guys to be. Everyone here it. is going to think that they're too smart to be the one to be the Credit Suisse Patsy or the Nomura and have the, 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 the hole blown up with them. I, I, I just don't think unless you, you change the, the, the underlying environment that has free money, markets out of top. Right. Nobody's worried about, you know, going out or, or, or you were worried about not performing as well as the next guy. And, and, and I think it, at, in these circumstances, it doesn't break risk taking behavior. It actually exacerbates it. And I think it exacerbates it on both the banking side and on the, the asset manager side. You know, I'd, I'd love to think that everyone looks at this as a cautionary tale. I think instead the the reaction is going to be, and this will be promoted by the press. It's a one off thing. He was he was all this was Bear Stearns too, right? There's no systemic issue here. It was just a bad actor, right? He's just a he was just a bad egg, and otherwise, you know, party on. Unfortunately, I I, I think that's anyway. That's my guess of how it. Yeah, I'm going to come with the wild card or the Joker in all of this. And I feel pretty strongly on this. First of all, Crouching Tiger, a.k.a. Wong, he didn't have $15 billion personally. I don't think he had a billion personally. I think he may have had $300 million. And I think his fund was a front for very bad actors. Very, very, very bad actors, a.k.a. money launderers, which is why everything was disguised as a family office, air quotes around that. The wild card here is that if our markets 
start to get influenced by foreign actors and or bad actors and manipulation purposes through the use of excessive leverage, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Sherrod Browns will get off their ass and and cram legislation down these guys' throat if the primes don't clean up their act. I think all this stuff and all this noise about this know your customer and anti-money laundering laws, at least I know through my wire card experience, is just lip service that this shit has been going on for some time because there's no better way to launder money and to get excess wealth than excess leverage in financial markets. So depending on how and what shakes out with crouching and who his investors really were and who's been influencing this market, aka SoftBank and others, there may be enough of a pushback on what's going on where the Warrens of the world go to the Goldmans and say, you do it this way or we'll do this. And my solution to all this all along has been, forget transaction tax, just tax the living shit out of excessive leverage and however someone wants to define it. If you want to play the game, here's the ante, right? And this goes from Citadel all the way down. Ken, if you want to play the game, or Stevie Cohn, you want to play the game, or any of these guys, you tax, you, you, you come with a level of margin which is acceptable, and anything above it, it's kind of like a luxury tax in basketball, right? Some of my pals own part of the Golden State Warriors. That luxury tax is a choke. And if you want, and if you, you know, think you want to get all the players and play the luxury tax, it is a real challenge in your mind if you want to go that route. And there has to be something. I mean, I agree with Ben that nothing will change. I agree with Fleck that the primes will take it down. But it just depends what side of the shock you're on and, and why we need the mainstream media and the regulators and the fearsome foursome known as us to say, guys, let's get to the fucking bottom of what went on so we don't blow this thing into smithereens. Because I think Ben, I'm not going to speak for him if this keeps on going what happens, and I'm not going to speak for anyone else what's gonna, if this keeps on going what's going to happen. But at some point, you start blowing pistons through the hood of the engine, through the hood of the car. And, and, and I think this, these times and, and what's happened in the last three months with markets at all-time highs, and it used to be hedge funds when they blew up, you'd have a dustpan event for two or three days. You'd put them in the dustpan, dustpan would go in the dumpster, and that's it. Now a hedge fund blows up by some unknown clown who's a criminal, who's, who's had a past, and now you've you've cost the primes ten billion dollars in counting. I mean, it's 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 literally insane. And this is what the market at highs. And and you know, I think Ben put out a poll on Twitter. How many of these are yet to come? God even knows. But the number's bigger than a bread box. So so I think these times are so extreme. The wild card and the jokers are out there on how this shakes. And I think it's going to be downright frightening with with how it all goes. The SoftBank name has been dropped into this conversation half a dozen times now, and it feels as though they're somewhere in the middle of all this. 
because it's just the nature of the markets they play in, the way they do their business. Mark, what do you think SoftBank's role in all this has been? I think they're the absolute hub of all of this. I think a spoke is Silicon Valley, a spoke is their fraudulent holdings, a spoke is WeWork, a spoke is their ties to the investment banks, spoke is the leverage, spoke is the internationality to it, the spoke is their ties to bad guys. I think I think they're ground zero behind all of this. And they're sitting on all these shaky and shady assets that need the markets very high and speculative in order for them to monetize their way out of it. So I think they are the front of any conversation and they pulled this so-called well-known gamma squeeze on the QQQs on the backside of what the Tesla crowd did. And I think that set the bar and, and showed others how you manipulate markets to the upside at, at, exponential, at an ex, exponential rate of speed. So I think they are the hub of the musks, the, what just happened, the short squeeze, the gamma squeeze, the peddling a bunch of overly priced shit to schmucks, if you will. I, I, I think they're the center of the, the eye of the storm. I'll, I'll jump in here to say that I, I've been increasingly thinking that, <laughs> that I'll, so I'll, just, I'll just blurt this out. I think increasingly thinking that the Japanese uh, financial system is increasingly uh, uh, corrupt. Right? That, as that, I'll, use that, that, I'll use that word, right? That, that I see Japan, I see Tokyo as being an epicenter for the throwing the rods through the the through through the you know wrecking the engine. I, I I'm because it it is SoftBank for sure as an epicenter, but it's also I can't get over Tokyo Marine because they were the key player in the whole Greensill fraud because they were writing these insurance wrappers on the crappy loans that the Greensill was 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 originating. They were the they were the monoline. Right, they were the MBIA, they were the AMBAC, right? To to use some names from from the great financial crisis and the, the mortgage market, that was the role they were playing there, right? And, and I look at Nomura. I mean, Mark, you put out this chart the other day on on Twitter about the balance sheet, Nomura's balance sheet, its growth in, you know, giving out money to to guys like uh, you know an Archegos, right, or, or at least the, the the U.S. arm on it. And again, it goes back to I, I think of these kind of very basic policy positions of artificially priced money and a complete zombification so that so that there is no corporate penalty at the highest levels for taking these kind of risks. So uh, so so yeah, I think it's SoftBank, and I'm 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 increasingly just starting to look at the entire Japanese financial sector as as something that is is making my spidey sense tingle a lot. As I listen to this, you know, Mark, what you talked about there, a gamma squeeze is nothing new. This is not an original concept. Neither is a short squeeze. None of these things, these are as old as the hills. So what is it that makes them so dangerous now? Is it purely the amount of leverage in the system? Because if that's the case, then the answer is right there, right? A gamma squeeze shouldn't be able to do the damage it did. These short squeezes shouldn't be able to do the damage they are doing. And they're only enabled by this massive amount of leverage because they can just be such a bigger scale than they ever were able to before. Well, I listened to those hearings when the head of Reddit 
said that they put together for a period of time the world's largest hedge fund. 15 million users all decided to buy GameStop at once, and we showed those suits or we showed those people, you know, who was boss. Well, that's collusion flat out, and collusion is illegal. But if you look at what Crouching Tiger did through his Ponzi scheme and illegal methods, opening six to eight prime brokerage accounts and getting in all these wacky derivatives. And we all know how wacky those derivatives can be with that kind of leverage. He single-handedly, through the help of the primes, I mean, when you're owning 20% of the, the company, forget the float, in a name like Discovery or Viacom, which is a $40 billion enterprise, and you decide to target a guy's book, and as Ben said, Melvin, who thought he had the big stack, and it turns out against these guys, he had the little stack, and the knock-on effects of who Melvin was talking to. I mean, let's say Melvin was short GME and iRobot and Discovery and Viacom and GSX. You can rest assured Stevie Cohn was short the same names, and all of Melvin's buddies were short the same names. And Crouching Tiger decided to big stack them against leverage with these weapon of mass destruction things. They colluded and they manipulated these stocks to such a degree and created such a systematic squeeze that they basically not only burned the building down and the house down, they melted the wires, they melted the steel and turned everyone else into ash on a back in the day Volkswagen colluded type of short squeeze. And when you saw what happened to the Tesla crowd, I mean, the stock basically pre-split has gone from what, 175 to lack of a better term, 3,500. I mean, that's, that's what, 20 times in 16 months? Tesla's up 20 times in 16 to 18 months. If you can do that in a name like Tesla, and SoftBank did the test drive of what you could do in the QQQs, Crouching Tiger and his, his pals, with the help of illegal disclosure activity, trading in these pockets of names, it wasn't the whole market. It was names where they controlled the game. Yeah, it was something that no one's ever seen. And a guy like Fleck and I, when you see a name that you're short go up 20%, the average person says, let's do more. And then it goes up 40%, you say, let's do even more. But then when it's up 60%, you say, do we have a problem? And at 80%, you have a real problem as they're taking your, your, your margin requirements up and option premiums go through the roof. So this was orchestrated. This was coordinated. This was highly levered. I don't know if the primes knew or didn't know about it. I kind of think the real question, if I was a mainstream media guy, is how did this Thursday meeting come about, right? What went off to have this Thursday meeting, right? I mean, there's four of us on this call. Let's say we didn't know each other, what anyone's positions are. What, we get a memo Wednesday afternoon saying we're going to have a meeting Thursday morning about our improprieties? We've noticed illegal Ponzi type of relationships with, with this guy amongst all of us. Are we going to say, what the fuck, we didn't know? Or did we kind of know, but we didn't want to ask too many questions? So 
I find all this stuff so beyond troubling and the movement in these stocks, both up and down, so troubling, it's easy and lazy for the mainstream media to slough it off as a one-time event. Everything's a one-time event. It's, it's all one-time, the 100-year flood every five minutes, the once-in-a-lifetime hedge fund failure. But Ben has some brilliant points. I, I can't urge anyone listening to this, especially if you're in the government or a regulator, to bring this fella in and to thoroughly discuss. I mean, you should frankly bring the four of us in, but truly bring him in to unwind everything he sees because he can outline what's went on and the problem. I think I have something of the solution and Fleck knows other problems with the wiring of the system and the Fed and lack of regulatory and Grant ties it all together. But this is serious ass shit that's been going down. And we're old enough and we're cynical enough, you know, to say, you know, nothing can change or this, that, and the other. But I'll tell you, something better change and better change quick. Because otherwise, I, I think this Frankenstein is going to be unleashed. And, and the movement, you know, back to your real question, the asymptotic movement of these random shorts that, that were, all, were all Melvin names, who comes from the Stevie Cohn family tree that was squeezed from Crouching Tiger, who's from the Tiger family tree. This is also a civil war or mafia of one mafia of hedge fund versus another. So there's so much really that's been at play over a very short period of time. But these moves make it that a guy like me doesn't want to be short anything for the sheer danger that something now can go up 400% in two weeks, right? It used to be, I think, yeah, name can go up 20, 30%. I just do more of this will blow over. No, we've unleashed nukes that a guy like myself, and I am a tough ass man, and I've seen a lot at age 60, but I've never, ever, ever seen anything like this, nor do I want to see anything like this, and it better stop. It better stop soon. Uh, You talked a bit about collusion there, Mark. Fleck, I want to I want to come to you with this because there's two sets of collusion going on here, right? We've had, as you said, Mark, the Reddit CEO coming on talking about this 15 million guys getting together, and, and and clearly that that is collusion. The only difference, though, between the retail collusion and the hedge fund collusion is that the people working in a hedge fund have taken exams and have signed documents saying they understand the rules of the game. They know what they're allowed to do. They know what they're not allowed to do. And they are breaking rules they've signed up to. The retail guys are breaking laws they have no idea that they're breaking. Right? They just don't understand that, hey, it's not okay for us all to get together and talk about, hey, we're all going to go and buy a game. So they just don't get it. And yet, all I've seen is a couple of stories about how retail traders here are being pulled in to be questioned about this stuff. What is it about that, Bill, that, that it seems that nobody wants to go after anybody meaningful? We, we kind of want look like we're doing something about this but i don't see anybody in the doj in the sec coming out and saying we are going to crack down this we are going to find who's colluding we're going to find the ringleaders and we are going to take them to task well first of all i think it's an important distinction you make i mean if you're a professional and you act as a group to do something you know is wrong 
I mean, that's obviously illegal. If you're a bunch of, of people who don't really know how the game's supposed to be played and what you're supposed to do, and you, you think, oh, hey, let's all go. I mean, it's like the silver short squeeze. These folks think there's a silver squeeze to be had, and there isn't. But they all think that. That's not worked so far. I'm not saying silver couldn't go up a ton for other reasons, but, well, they tried it. It didn't work. They tried these other things, and it worked. I don't have such a problem with that. Uh, it's more the professionals who know better. And what we really don't know is how many of these little entity or little, little cabals, if you will, are out there. Was this a one-off? I doubt it. If it's five firms, you know, five little rings, that's a big deal, maybe. If it's 20, it's an even bigger deal. So, And then it gets back to the, the problem that we're, I think, all talking about, and that, that is there's no real application of securities laws until after something bad happens. So until that is the case, the only thing that's going to regulate this even slightly is individuals' own fear of, oh, my God, I could lose a lot of money, whether you're running a firm or you're running a hedge fund. you know. And that's kind of what I was alluding to with Ben is that some guys at Goldman who don't have any skin or high enough up may not want to see that get in big trouble right now to pick just one name. So I don't know what it's going to take to get the regulators to do their jobs and when you talk about the media, I mean, not to pick on the few that might be good at it, um, and there, there are some, but the media doesn't seem to care much about anything in terms of getting, they're too busy fighting the social justice wars and politics. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any real investigative journalism uh, like Gretchen used to do. I mean, she was probably the best at it, and I mean, but one person can only cover so much. So I think- if we can get the light of day shined on the subject and get somebody to wake up, then maybe, maybe we can get some digging into it. But what this has all come about as a consequence of is the opaqueness of the rules. So they clamped down on the so-called investment banks after 08 for some things, but obviously they left the loopholes open so we could go have this problem. And I think until some light is shined on it, and I, I wouldn't hold my breath for the media, nor the SEC, I mean, uh, I'd like to be proven wrong. I don't see how it changes other than individually guys trying to take some risk down. Ben, let, let me ask you this, because the more I listen to the, the three of you guys, the more I read the stuff that you write, the more I think about this stuff, it almost feels to me as though the system, and by that I mean the financial system itself has become too big to fail. And it feels as though there is a real fear about policing it because of the leverage, because of its importance and the sheer size of it now. Any takedown of anybody who doesn't even seem on face value to be systemically important could topple this whole house of cards. So am I <laughs> way off beam? Because that, that's what it feels no, like. I, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's at the core of how I'm thinking about this now. You know, there there are explicit guarantees in the system, right? That's why we call these banks too big to fail because they are explicitly designated as SIFIs, right? Systemically you know, important financial institutions and they have a certain set of regulations that's placed on them because of that in terms of their capital requirements and the like. But the guarantee is you're a made man, right? You cannot, you cannot fail. I think what we're all wrestling with right now, and to your, to your question, Grant, I think 
there's a lot more than just these explicit guarantees. I think there's now an implicit guarantee. I want to pick a number. Any asset owner, any um, uh, asset manager with 20 billion plus in AUM, I think you now have an implicit guarantee that you're too big to fail. Right. So, you know, what, what does it mean when, when the ECB is calling around the weekend after Greensill blows up to talk about contagion? Right. They're talking about this. Who else is connected here? What does it mean when you hear, oh, the Fed was calling around over the weekend to see if there's any kind of contagion here? Right. What do you think they're talking about? They're talking about 0.72, for example. My, my point is that 0.72 at this point, this is Stevie Cohen's, you know, family office turned into a, 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 a new fund, right? I think it's too big to fail. I, I think you're exactly right, Grant, that, that there is now uh, an implicit guarantee placed around so many of these players in the system. And to, to, to Mark's point earlier, I, let me step back and say, there's, there's, I, I, I like to play poker, but I'm also a fan of looking at kind of, I'll call it the business of poker. And professional poker really changed about 20 years ago. When it changed from the, you know, Binion's, you know, uh, you know, in the uh, downtown Las Vegas and Doyle Brunson to, to the poker that we have today. And the change was aggression. <laughs> right? yeah. that's, that's the big difference. And it, it, it changed dramatically. The play of professional poker was that some of these kind of young upstarts realized, you know what? The way to play this game, the winning strategy not necessarily for a particular hand, but for the game in general, is to be hyper-aggressive. And, and I think that's what we are seeing today, that, that it's, it's clear now that big stack poker, bullying the table, it works. And it works particularly well when you can get a really big stack with you and your buds, you know, your team, with your banks that, can, that are more than happy to give you as big a stack as you want. And so we're going to see these rolling games where big stacks come in and, as Mark's saying, destroy the game for anyone that doesn't have a $20 billion stack, right? I, 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 more and more, I think that's the, the table stakes today, I think, to, to really play in markets is $20 billion. And that's just, it's a world unlike any of us have, have seen is, is, is a game that it makes me very sad that that's what's happened. But I think that's what is. I think that's exactly what's happened here. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's terribly sad to look across this, this industry that has changed so much. And it feels as though there's all kinds of shifts that I can feel around me at the moment. But this shift in markets is not necessarily remotely positive i don't think i think mark you you hit the nail on the head when you talked about how this this whole industry has been destroyed by this but you know can any of you guys see how this ends or is it necessary for things the way they are to continue as long as they can because when this does end it is the end and you know bill and i've been talking about the end game is the end of this kind of, you know, Ben, you talk about markets being political utilities. Is the ultimate end of that the end of the financial system? No, I, I think Mark's got it right that, that, that one way to address this is to tax leverage, right? And there are different ways to tax it, to raise the price of leverage. I, I, I'd love to see it if you raise the price of leverage by actually, actually raising the or allowing the price of money to be 
you know, non-suppressed, right? I'd love that to happen. That ain't happening. I, I think that what could happen would be a law, right? A, a regulatory action to tax, to raise the price of leverage. Not transactions, leverage. I think that could help. Something else I think could help, which also, you know, this acts at the, 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 the incentive structure of things. I think that if you made it illegal to, to have a uh, incentive distribution for a fund manager until funds were distributed, until there was a redemption by the, the, the investor, by the LP, right? So that you've got no more, oh, I'm going to crystallize my 20% after a really good year. I think acting on the, okay, I'm just going to put it all on red. I think there are ways to address that. But, but I think those are kind of the only two ways to go about it, either the individual incentives or systemically to increase the price of leverage. I think those are the, the, the chances you've got to avoid throwing a rod into the, through the engine and you know, having a 20-car a, a pileup. I think those are the only two, 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 two shots at this. Well, I personally don't think the regulators have any clue about what's really going on. So the idea that they aren't going to enforce the laws because everything's too big to fail, that decision only gets made in the heat of the battle when something tips over and things start to go wrong and they realize, oh, my God, we better do something. And, and that's where the too big to fail moment happens. They are so asleep at the switch. It's not like they're aware of all this stuff and they say, oh, my God, this is so dangerous, but we best not do anything because bad things would happen. They're not that smart. They have no idea what's going on. And uh, so I, I don't think that this too big to fail idea is keeping them from doing their jobs. I don't know what is, but I, I don't see anything changing this unless we get more problems and it starts to really increase the individual concern, as I've been saying. And like I said, if there's more of these out there, I think the firms will, will get after themselves. That only going to impact the short run, though. Then the question, you know, we, we need, it's like we need damage to be done to the financial markets to ever get anything changed. They never change anything proactively. And I agree with you 100%, Ben. The root cause of all this is, you know, 20 years of easy money and the bubbles and looking the other way. There's a whole host of things that have brought us to this place. But unless we get some intrepid beings in the media or the government to really look into this, and spark some change, it's going to take an accident of sorts to really make a difference, I am afraid. Well, sadly, there is one very, very simple solution to all of this, I think, uh, and that is to install Mark Cahodes as head of the SEC. But, well, uh, I'm, I'm all for that. But I, but I, I, I don't, I just, A, I don't think that's going to happen. And B, if he did take the job, which I know he would, he'd go with both hands. The security detail you'd require, Mark, would be way too expensive for the government to afford. I would imagine. Just well, it would. It would actually work if they let me do it. It wouldn't take me that long. But I want to throw one again. I'm the wild card in this whole thing, and I have a out of the box way. You know, it's kind of the markets are sort of like gun violence, and in, in all these incidents, there's one tragic incident after another, whether it's Sandy Hook or the MGM shooting. I mean, they're shootings all the time and they're awful and it's race based and it's psychotic based. It doesn't matter. It's bad. And there's outrage for three to 30 days and then it just dies down and then everyone ignores it. If someone were to ever shoot up someone viewed as important, like the Senate 
or, or the house or something that's viewed as significant, then people would say, or the politicians or the people who can make change would say, this is a problem. This right here, the only way to save this thing is if the Elizabeth Warrens or the Sherrod Browns or the Bidens or some adult were to say, God, I listened to this Ben Hunt and this guy has something and Fleckenstein with his lovely hair has something. We need to do something now because these guys are right. If we don't do something now, this whole thing is one day going to blow up and it will be the end game. So instead of waiting for a tragedy, instead of waiting for a mass shooting of 8,000 people, let's we've seen enough evidence from listening to these four that something is terribly wrong. Let's we can't change the price of money. Leave the price of money low. But if you abuse the price of money, let's fucking get after it and tax the crap out of it. Citadel can afford the tax. Morgan Stanley, Goldman, Lehman, Piper Jaffrey, Nomura, they can all afford it. Stevie Cohn can afford it. Julian Robertson can afford it. Everyone can afford it if they abuse and use excessive leverage. So let's tax the living hell out of them. And if we, just like if we don't like the use of AR, whatever they are, let's tax the crap out of them. Let's tax the crap out of ammunition, ammo. Let's tax the crap out of whatever. And, and that at least makes it look like they care or are on top of some form of, of action here. Something. I'm begging for something, anything. So I'm totally stealing Mark's metaphor of the luxury tax in sports leagues. It's perfect. Everybody understands what a luxury tax is. Nobody who's, who's you know, politician, even if they're listening to us and they go, oh, this is interesting, right? They're not going to say, oh, yeah, I've got to go do it, unless they have some way of describing it to their constituency. So I, I got to tell you, I'm totally stealing the whole luxury tax idea because I, I, I think that's really got legs. It, everybody knows what it is. Everybody understands it. I, I think you're onto something there, Mark. I really do. Yeah, because my buddy, Shally, owns a piece of the Warriors. And him and I talk about stuff. And this basketball luxury tax against with guys who are worth a lot of money, it is really front and center on their decisions. Because if you're over the tax, you pay triple the over in tax to the league. And, and, and these numbers are big numbers for, for guys who have a passive investment. So if you make this excessive leverage tax look like a luxury tax and you're over a threshold, it becomes a level where you say, I'm just not doing it. Or it will at least encourage responsible thinking. God knows if you have responsible behavior, but at least it will require an adult in the room to think clearly. So shit, man, write about it. I mean, your writing is great. I mean, I can think, but I sure can't write like you or Grant or Fleck. I'm just kind of a, 
an illiterate hanger-on or who has thoughts every now and then. <laughs> and long may that continue, Mark. Well, look, guys, it's hanger-on. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. good way to describe you. You're yeah, just you a go. passive hanger-on. Yeah, there you go. I'm a hanger-on. I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm along for the ride. I don't know that we've solved anything, but I tell you what, I've got an awful lot to think about, as I knew I would when we came into this. So, you know, my thanks to everybody for joining in. Mark, thanks to you, as always, mate. It's always a great joy to sit and talk to you. And, and well, I'm, one of one of one of my one of my proudest accomplishments in life is I put you and that clown Fleckenstein together. I mean, that's just yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's just. And, and, and speaking on behalf of both of us, I thank you, but also, you know, Ben, thanks to you as well. Again, you know, every time. I get a chance to to read what's going on inside your brain or pick it in person. I I, I grab that with both hands because it's uh, you know you, you you have a way about you that so few people do, and and I think you're a true original in these markets and a, and a real thought leader. So you know, thanks for everything you totally. do. And thanks for this conversation. Well, kind words. Yeah. Thank, thanks to all of yeah, you guys. Nah. I, I love hearing on these. And, and listen, maybe, maybe, Mark, if you do get installed as the head of the SEC, you'll have us all over for dinner in your swanky new apartment in DC. Fuck, I'd take the Greyhound there if I had to. Things are so bad for, for with this shit. I mean, I'll, I'll commute from Montana in a Greyhound bus to D.C. if I had to. I mean, this is, this is crazy. Oh, crazy please, shit. Please, please take the Netflix cameras with you along the way. Guys, it's mm. been fun. Thanks a lot. Let's do it again sometime. Right on. Yeah. Thanks all. Bye. Bye. Well, the real question is, how many more of these entities are out there and does that lead to something because i i just i don't i don't just don't see the authorities waking up and saying hey do we need to do something maybe they will but well i i i think it comes down to who it touches because i I, yeah there's no question that there are more of these out there there's just no question because we all know that everybody's playing everybody's playing the same game right some of them are doing it with more leverage than others but to you know, the the beauty of this conversation was so many of the points were crystallized in this. You know, to Ben's point, without the big leverage, you're just not in the game anymore. So you you have to have it. And the fact that everybody's playing the same game to different degrees, it then comes down to how much does your greed override your risk control? And of course, as you've written better than just about anybody, the amount of backstops available to everybody and the, and the you know, privatization of profits, the socialization of risks is a very real issue. And so you put all this stuff together and I, you know, I think you're right. It, it will happen again, but when will it actually matter? I think it comes down to who, who does it take down? Who does it threaten? If it threatens the people in charge, then perhaps they're forced to do something about it. But I, I, I just don't see the, the desire. Me neither. I mean, we have too many data points over the last 20 years or so. Uh, so regretfully, we need much more damage yeah. to get anything done. And the question is, well, whether we'll get that damage now or the maybe momentarily we have a speed bump and then things get worse. I just, I've pretty much given up hope that the the SEC, the, the Fed, or any of these people that have responsibilities are ever really going to do their job until the whole thing is a train wreck. Maybe I'll be wrong, but um, that's the way it looks to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, look, all that remains, I guess, is to is to thank everybody for listening, to thank our guests, Mark Cahodes and Ben Hunt. On that happy note. <laughs> on that happy note, exactly right. Uh, if you don't follow them already, you'll find Mark on Twitter at AlderLaneEggs, A-L-D-E-R-L-A-N-E-Eggs. You'll find Ben at Epsilon Theory. 
you'll find me at TTMYGH. And I'm at Fleckcap. Still. Mate, good luck Still. this afternoon, and uh, let's do this again soon. Alrighty, mate. All right, take care. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. Nothing we discussed during the end game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.